Today, we're talking about caring for elder parents. And we're lucky enough to have Dr. Angela Shumaluski, palliative care from Beaumont Health, and Dr. Brian Mucky, geriatrician from Beaumont Health. Thank you both for being here today. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you. Brian, you're a geriatrician. Can you explain a little bit, what's the difference between being a geriatrician and a primary care doctor? And at what age do you think a person should maybe see a geriatrician? So a geriatrician, technically anyone over the age of 65 is a geriatric age. Mm -hmm. So I tell people to think about the year you got your Medicare card. So technically when you get Medicare at 65, you become geriatric. Okay. Uh, In a geriatric practice, though, I would say the average age is closer to 80 to 85. Oh, wow. Uh So, So when does it become time to see a geriatrician? It depends not so much by age, but by what issues there are. So... So a geriatrician such as myself, I did an extra year of training in diseases that are more specific to the elderly. And those are things like dementias, uh, movement disorders, failure to thrive, just overall frailty. Usually we see those things happening in the later geriatric age or what we call the old, old, which is 85 and above. Mm -hmm. So if you start seeing some of those things like memory changes, if you're having noticing that your loved one is losing weight or that they're having issues maintaining their home or there are concerns about issues at home, then that's time to think about maybe it's time to talk to my primary care physician about a geriatric evaluation. Let's talk about um, palliative care versus hospice care. People tend to think of hospice as a very, very end-of-life kind of thing, and they also tend to think palliative care goes along with that, but there is a distinct difference between the two. Can we go through that? Sure. So both palliative care and hospice are an interdisciplinary support for patients. um, So that means they've got a nurse and a doctor and a home health care aide. Right. Hospice is a really bundled payment model. It's an insurance benefit. And there's this described or defined set of services that are required. Mm -hmm. Palliative care follows the same principles in terms of managing symptoms, optimizing quality of life, supporting the patient and the caregiver and defining their goals, whatever those might be. Um, But it's not structured in the way that hospice is because Medicare, in its wisdom, carved out a benefit specifically to cover hospice. So hospice is supportive, comfort-focused care for patients at the end of life. Mm and the government defines terminal illnesses six months or less to live if the disease takes its normal course. Uh, The fact of the matter, the statistics show us that most patients get hospice for days and weeks, not months. And so um, although you're entitled to take this benefit for six months, what we see is that because of uh, the association with um, people getting on hospice and then dying a few days later or for whatever reason, um, patients only get onto that service or enroll in that service and only have the ability to benefit from it for far too short a time. What what exactly is the benefit of a hospice, though? Like people, when I think when people think of the word hospice, they think of death. Mm-hmm. But well, there's so much more to hospice. Like you said, they provide comfort. So this is medications. Yep. They, they you can do hospice at home, right? So they give you a hospital bed. They do bathing. They even um, give respite care. Is that correct? Correct. And I understand that if a patient 
passes away, the family member gets some counseling even Absolutely. afterwards. Absolutely. So after they pass on, the family gets more benefit. Absolutely. So can you talk about some of the specific benefits of hospice and like what goes on in that? Yep. So again, hospice is a very specific insurance benefit that's really defined by Medicare. And so it's a bundle of services for patients with terminal illness. It comes to the patient wherever they are. Um, it's not a 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week benefit. What it's going to cover is the support of a hospice nurse that will make visits, usually once or twice a week. It goes up or down depending on need. There's a nurse's aide that will come out to help with bathing, usually a couple times a week. Mm -hmm. There's a physician that oversees the care, sometimes makes visits, um, but more often than not is really managing things um, from the office. Um, There's a chaplain and a social worker, and they also have a network of volunteers that can come and help out. And they're going to supply any of the medications that are necessary for the patient's comfort and to manage that illness that got them into hospice. So there's a misconception that, for example, when someone has heart failure and they're on hospice, we just, you know, the hospice team stops all their medicines. Absolutely not. If the goal is to keep a person comfortable, keeping their heart failure well managed is going to work towards that. So yeah, we I think do that's keep them. the fear. It's like no more medications, no more food, no absolutely any of these no. things, and that's no. not true. No. no, we absolutely keep everything going that makes sense in terms of burden and benefit to the patient. If it makes them on balance or on average feel better than burden, then we would continue doing it. No, palliative care, what is that? And you don't necessarily have to be end of life to get palliative yeah, care. Absolutely not. So we follow a lot of the same principles, focusing on symptom management, comfort, quality of life, defining goals. Um, but it can be provided together with patients' uh, disease-directed or aggressive treatments. So patients can get palliative care with a focus on managing their symptoms and supporting their families while they're getting chemotherapy, for example, for their cancer as a caregiver or helping out as a caregiver, like in my situation, my dad is, is the caregiver and I'm sort of the support caregiver. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a lot of things that you think about how, how you can help more. And I just, a lot of times I don't feel like I'm doing enough. And I know my dad does so much for my mom, but even he thinks he may not be doing enough. And I'm sure a lot of people out there, they have a sense of guilt or Mm -hmm. they feel like they should be with their loved one all the time or, it's just a really difficult thing to deal with. And what advice do you have for people who are either supporting caregivers or are the full-time caregiver? Because it can be exhausting, but at the same time, it's a privilege to care for someone that you love. And this balance between guilt and fatigue often occurs. Mm-hmm. I can think you can take a page um, from at least my palliative care practice here. And uh, a lot of times we assume And a very helpful question can be, what's the hardest part of this for you? Mm -hmm. So, you know, starting with admiration and support for the role and the caregiving that they're doing, you know, it's obvious how much they love, you know, your mother, your loved one, um, and they're doing an amazing job of caring for them. But you can imagine it must be hard at times to do this all the time, every day. What's the hardest part of it for you? And you might really be really surprised what the answer is. Mm -hmm. Um, And and sometimes that can guide what you can offer. And I think you can also take a a page from some of the, what we've learned about people that have had sudden loss or serious loss and that people often say, let me know if you need anything. And for somebody that's overwhelmed, that's pretty much a useless statement. You know, offer something concrete. Mm-hmm. I'd like really bring like, a meal over. Yeah. Or, or, you know, I really think you should get out of the house. I'd like to come over and watch mom from, you know, noon to four o'clock on Saturday so that you can go out and go to a movie or what have you. Right. Um, and 
you know, usually they'll say yes, or if they say no, they might offer it something else that would be equally or more helpful to them. Yeah, my, my aunts always do that. They come over and bring food and just company, and it's, it's really helpful. Um, another thing I wanted to share was that when we were at the neurologist's office uh, with my mom and dad, and my mom always teases me that says, you know, she says I'm bossy, and I'm, you know, she's like, I taught you how to drive, and I taught you how to do this. Don't tell me what to do kind of thing. And uh, we were at the doctor's office, and the neurologist asked her, you know, what are you struggling with the most, and what's the most difficult part of being um, in this situation for you? And I was shocked at her response. She just looked and said, I'm completely fine because I have a loving daughter and I have a loving husband and they both take such good care of me. And I think that meant a lot to my dad to hear that. And for myself, I was like, man, I feel like all day long she's telling me how much she wants me out of her face, you know, like stop intervening. But then it was comforting to hear that despite, you know, some of the the quirks in caregiving that they know that like, I guess my advice to other caregivers is don't stop doing what you're doing because you think you're failing, to just keep trying um, because they are appreciative and they do realize how much you mean to them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, what are some resources for people for caring for elder patients and also resources for adult caregiver burnout? Do you guys have some resources for our listeners? Beaumont does have a senior helpline. If you have a question, they're there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They can try to direct you in the direction of where you need to go for assistance. They wouldn't be able to give you medical advice or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that can be helpful if you're you're needing help at home to help get things set up and get the ball rolling. Um, and that they do have a phone number. It's uh, 1-800-328-2241. Uh, if you go to the Beaumont website, beaumont.org, Uh, Under treatment and services, when we're talking about uh, older adults, elderly, it's under senior services. So you would look under senior services. They talk talk about respite care, home care, the Beaumont Geriatric Clinic, uh, which uh, is available for comprehensive geriatric assessments. Um, The Beaumont Senior Services, which helps with uh, getting in-home care for custodial needs so if you need some housekeeping help or if you need someone to like i can't my loved one can't be by themselves for a few hours and i need to go somewhere they can get somebody in to take your spot so that they can you can do what you need to do um talking about our beaumont geriatric assessment clinic we touched on that briefly so what we offer through the assessment center is a comprehensive geriatric assessment. Oftentimes this is a consultation. This is similar to going to see a specialist like a cardiologist. Mm-hmm. And you'll have an interdisciplinary approach to uh, senior care. So we look at complaints like memory, weight loss, falls, fainting, urinary incontinence. Uh, you see a nurse who does an initial assessment with a psychosocial assessment. Um, Oftentimes memory testing gets done at that time. You have a visit with the physician, which is a a detailed head-to-toe physical. And they probably uh, deal with polypharmacy, too, Mm -hmm. like being on too many drugs. Or sometimes as you get older, you don't need as many of the medications. Yeah, as a geriatrician, I oftentimes joke and say that I think I 
take away more drugs than I prescribe. Oh. <laughs> I tend to deprescribe more than I prescribe these days. Um, and uh, following following the full physical at the assessment center is what we call family conference. Okay. So anybody who wants to in your family can come. They have capabilities to phone in and with the physician and the social worker talk about developing a plan, not just a medical plan with pills, but a plan for safe living goals of where you want to be and what you want and how we can uh, provide assistance or what resources there are in the community to help meet those goals. There's also a website called Mm agingparent.com and I found it very helpful because it walks through how to do a strategy meeting. So it's basically like when you sit with your siblings and think about how are we going to manage mom or dad and it's how do you have a meeting with mom and dad? Mm -hmm. How do you have a meeting with just the siblings? And it's it's really a great tool to use because I think a lot of us struggle to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. It's just really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Are there any financial resources that you guys are aware of? Because we know senior care can be really expensive. Are any steps to take financially for families? Start saving now. You know, this assisted living is not covered by insurance. Even the insurances that people are buying these days, which I understand are considerably pricey for long-term care, often have a 90 to 120-day waiting period, which means that you have to pay out of pocket for a few months before your insurance benefit clicks in. Um, you know, and, and if your parent needs to live in a nursing home because your family can't come together to provide the care and you don't have the resources to pay for somebody to come into your home, you know, you're looking at a cost of a couple hundred bucks a day. Right. I mean, eventual, when it gets to a point where you have to be in a nursing home and you're out of funding, Medicaid does cover custodial nursing care, but you have to become impoverished to mm-hmm. have Medicaid. You get to keep your house, you get to keep your car, you get to keep $2,000 in the bank, but essentially all of your other assets go to the government and you get, I think, $60 a month. So while you might be able to keep your home, you don't get money to pay the property insurance, you don't get money to pay the bills or to you know, maintain the property. Um, and then essentially the taxpayers cover your care and I think as a society, we have to figure this out. This What we have currently is, is not going to work. Yeah, And oftentimes, when it is a loved one having care and financial issues, you end up having to go to someone like an elder law attorney yeah. for assistance, kind of maneuvering through all of these things exactly. to protect assets and uh, to ensure. So if my father needs to go into a nursing home, is my mother going to have the money that she needs to still live outside the house? Exactly. So it is looking to another expert for assistance that certainly something as a physician we don't have any real training in. But I will say that um, I know that the State Bar of Michigan has a whole uh, group or section dedicated to elder law, and that could be a resource for people. Um, similarly, you know, there is a website called getpalliativecare.org that lists all kinds of resources as well as um, a provider directory. Um, I will also mention that um, this advanced care planning program that we're rolling out is called Respecting Choices at Beaumont. And uh, while we don't have everything quite up and running, we do have an email address. So if somebody is interested in having some help in filling out one of those documents, naming somebody they would trust to make their medical decisions, um, we can help them. And that is Respecting Choices, all all two words sandwiched together at Beaumont.org. I thank you both for being here today. Thank you, Angie, and thank you, Brian, for your expertise. And uh, looking forward to talking to you guys in the future. Pleasure. Thank Thank you. you.